Welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. It's episode 40, content creation using the Hollywood approach with Christina Pater. Digital Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, visit araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Chris, it's so great to be back for another Digital Marketing Happy Hour. But of course, every happy hour starts with a beverage. What do you have in front of you today? I went to Old Reliable, which is Copper Tail, a brewery here in Ybor City in the Tampa area. I am drinking their Night Swim, which is a porter, which is the kind of mood that I'm in. What about you, Ryan? What are you drinking this time? Yeah, so rarely do I dip my toe into any sort of the uh, the liquor drinks or anything like that, but I really am a big fan of dirty martinis. I kind of go through a phase. Usually it is either a a Grey Goose or a Belvedere, but this happy hour, it is a Belvedere Dirty Martini. That's because Christina got you in the mood for a martini with uh, her favorite drinks, isn't it? It is a little bit, yeah. (laughs) A little foreshadowing there. Well, we have our beverages in hand, so let's get started. He's Ryan Smith. I'm Chris Caselli. Thank you for joining us this week on the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're a repeat listener, Thank you for coming back. If you continue to find value in this podcast, please let others know about it. You can help us by leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Audible, or wherever you listen to this podcast. In this episode, you'll get a better understanding of the Hollywood approach to developing characters, which is at the core of content creation. Everyone struggles with developing content. But this week, Ryan and I sat down with Christina Pater, who showed us it's not that hard if you know where to start. The secret is in the development of character DNA, which really is at the heart of your audience personas. Ryan, let's introduce our guest. A world-class story strategist and screenwriter, Christina Pater has moved from newsrooms to Hollywood writers' rooms to boardrooms in 34 countries. She travels by motorcycle, jumps into waterfalls, and helps people wrangle the art and neuroscience of story to accelerate results in business and in life. Christina, welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour. Thank you so much. I love a good happy hour. Thanks for having me. No doubt. Now, you know, no happy hour can get started until we can talk about your favorite beverage. So do you have a go-to happy hour beverage? I do. I ha- I have two, and I don't want to be greedy right away, and I don't want to be double-fisting oh, right after it. that. Okay, great. So my <laughs> go-to is like a new discovery during the pandemic. It is called Leyenda Rum. You can only get it in the Dominican Republic, and I call it the no-consequence rum. So I begin, I begun drinking that with by pineapple coconut drink and by is a non-sugar but it, it uses like an alternate sugar so it's a keto drink and you just have no consequences when you drink this so it's like an automatic pina colada it's like do two two ingredient pina colada put it on ice it's awesome and then my is that a light rum sorry. or dark rum dark okay. rum uh-huh. mm-hmm. it's a good one leyenda in, in your other drink in your other sorry. hand in in my other 
sight hand is my fancy, what I call my fancy pants drink. And it is a Heather London martini. I first discovered it when back in the day when I lived in Chicago. And it's a combination of Dr. Vanilla Cuddy, so like vanilla schnapps, and Chambord, which is raspberry liqueur. Very frou-frou. It does the job it's hired to do, if I may say so. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and I could see you just going back and forth, taking a sip of one hand, <laughs> the other hand. Now that you bring it up, that, that could be, a, maybe there's a, maybe there's, maybe next time we talk, I will say, you know what, now I have one because it's those two together. So you mentioned the rum in the, in the Dominican Republic. So just for people who aren't aware, this is where you live, correct? It is. You are from Chicago? I am from Green Bay, Wisconsin. And you and how do you go from Green Bay to the Dominican Republic? Outside of it's obviously the weather is warmer. You don't go direct. You go via London, Milwaukee, Phoenix, Chicago, Rome, L.A., Dominican Republic. Very natural progression. I'm sure that everybody that migrates does that. I, I know everybody follows that. That's the general gist. Yeah. So one of the things, and I know we had a chance to talk before that I really was fascinated with is we, and we talked about a little bit in your intro about jumping into waterfalls. Now to, to the average person, it's like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. But I know with you, there is a, a little bit of a story behind that. So can you explain why that is in a way a big deal? Sure. Yes. So a few years, so I've always been a water like water enthusiast my whole life. So I was a water skier, like always swam, scuba dived, you know, got certified to do that, you know, loved running off the dock and jumping into the lake as a kid, all, all of those things my whole life, like since I was two and my parents tell these dramatic stories. So later in life, I developed panic attacks in the water and long story short, like they went on for 10 years, got progressively worse to the point of being debilitated, meaning like I couldn't even put my foot in the water. It used to happen when I'd like be cliff diving. And then it happened, like then they started happening, just putting one foot in the water. So they got so debilitating that long story short, I had no other choice but to buy a one-way ticket to the Caribbean and come to this place here called 27 Waterfalls where you climb up for two hours. And the only way back down is to jump in each and every one of those falls. How high up is that? The biggest jump is about 30 feet high. So it's kind of like like a little bit higher than jumping off your roof. So you fell in love with the Dominican Republic? I did. It was just, it was so great. And, you know, I, at the time, I really had a lot of shame about the the panic attacks. I, I was very embarrassed. I had a lot of shame, but I was also on a mission to just rewire whatever the circuitry in my brain that was causing it because it wasn't, you know, there's a distinction between fear and anxiety, which you can moderate a bit with meditation and other actions you can take. Whereas a panic attack, you know, really just kind of punches you in the face. Like you have no choice. It's like having, it's like a heart attack. It just, it overtakes you. So yeah, so when I came here, like in that mode and state of mind, I just found that people were so kind and there's such a great community in this small town where I, where I landed close to this place, close to 27 waterfalls. And I loved it. I just made a lot of friends, a lot of people here just kind of doing their thing and a lot of people working remotely and stuff. So 
I loved it. I found a home. I found a great international community and a great water enthusiast community. Maybe people aspirational that I'm always hearing about what they're doing so I can keep moving toward that. And so, yeah, very delightful. So that's an incredible story to me. And I don't know how you top it, but I'm fascinated by the Wisconsin to London to Milwaukee to Phoenix to maybe the Cliffs Notes version of, of your travel story. Uh, yeah, I think I just loved traveling. In the beginning, you know, some of it was what I was getting away from. And then later was what I was moving toward. So personal situation getting away from that, like in my in my college years went did a brief stint in London. Then moving on, it was building my career and going well, actually, after college in Wisconsin, (laughs) I was like really, I my friend and I literally sat on our apartment floor in Milwaukee, where I lived for like five months after college in a smaller town, and we're like, dude, can we not do these jobs like somewhere where it's warmer? It was like it was like January in Milwaukee, and the snow is pouring outside. She walks in with like you know the fur lined hood, so you can barely see your face because it's covered. And we're like, dude, seriously, like come on, we could do better than this. And so we just decided to go to Arizona. We kind of auditioned cities and she's like, you know, I can't go to Italy or something like that. So we're just going to have to stay in the United States. I'm like, okay, fine. Um, (laughs) It's like, okay. So we chose Arizona. We packed our cars to the rafters and um, we just packed up and we, uh, somewhere I was working at this place. It was a like it was three former TV station general managers had formed a company. And so they were super cool guys and everything. And one of the guys was like, girl, like you guys are going to need these CBs. So, I mean, mind you, this is, gosh, oh my gosh, what year is this? This is 1993. And this guy's like, you, you guys are, you girls, like you can't just be driving across country. You know, they kind of have this fatherly thing. They're like, you need some CBs. And he's like, I've got some. So you just take them. And so here we are. We're just like totally playing BJ and the bear or whatever on the highway, like talking back and forth on our CBs, right? All the way to Phoenix. And it was just an adventure because we just thought, you know, it's 1993. Like, what are you going to do? You know, we're like, let's go get stupid out of first out of college jobs there where we can be at the pool and drink pina coladas on the weekend and be tan. Like that was her, that, that was our game plan. She is still there, married, three children, you know, beautiful house. We're still like best of friends. And yeah, so, so that was the first move to get to sun. And then, um, yeah, so I can go on and on. Like the next one was, okay, now I'm in Phoenix. It's not as a high growth market. I need, I wanted to up level my career. And so I moved to Chicago where I could be a director of marketing and a senior VP of marketing and a CMO, you know, and those things. And then from there, I wanted to be in the, you know, I wanted to do more in the movie business and be closer to the movie business. So from there, I moved to LA. And in between, I did stints in Rome and London also for companies or school or sabbatical. And then the waterfall thing was what what moved me here from LA. So that whole waterfall was was happening. So you weren't a permanent resident yet. No, I came here. What happened was I was living in L.A. I was working as a story analyst. I had still clients in the corporate world and was working as a story analyst for a production company in the in the movie industry. And I went to my pool one day in my house that was not located so far from Bradley Cooper and my dad. I mean, he didn't hang out at my house, but I'm just saying, like, 
he was in the neighborhood sometimes. <laughs> um, but I went down to my pool and I had, I, and I had been having progressively worse panic attacks this, you know, this whole time for, for like 10 years, for a 10 year period, this was happening. And I went down one day, was talking to a neighbor and he's like, why are you sitting on the chair? Just why don't you get in the pool? And I was like, and I, because I was ashamed and embarrassed, I didn't talk about it a lot. So I put my foot in the pool, had this horrible panic attack just from that. Whereas before then I could at least get into my weight, I could get up to my waist and stuff, but it was getting just like worse and worse. And it was that day, it was January 2013. So seven years ago from now, from like right now. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like the water's my whole life. I can't do this. I don't care about anything else, but recovering from this. And I don't care what it takes. And I don't know what to do. And that's the point where I'm like, I'm praying to all gods from all religions and my past relatives, everybody else. And just like, somebody give me the answer. I have goosebumps talking about it. Like somebody just like, give me the answer. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. And at the same time, it was like really this intersection where I'm going to work and reading people's scripts and analyzing them and saying, okay, well, in this scene, is this realistic? Is this what this character would really do? What would Julia Roberts do in this scene? And then I'm like, what would Julia Roberts do if she were playing me in this scene? And so I kept asking, kept, kept meditating, kept putting it out there, you know, getting into the LA woo-woo vibes and all that. And um, I had a cousin who's getting married here. My mom, you know, kept nudging me to go. And just like all these things happened. So finally I said, yeah, I, I researched it because I'm very miserly with my miles, with my air miles. And I'm like, if I'm going, I'm not just going for a five-day wedding, man. Like there's got to be some other action going on. And I found 27 waterfalls. And I'm like, boom, that's it. As soon as I read about it, I'm like, that is the game plan. So that was the decision. Because I believed when I read about it, when I read that you you had to get down by jumping in the falls, I believed that that's important. First of all, it is a form of immersion therapy or exposure therapy. And I believed that it would rewire the panic. It had to break the, the circuit. It had to like blow out the motherboard on it. I believed it would do that. So I was committed to it. And it worked. It did. I, I still had a lot of work to do after that, but at least I wasn't having these great, you know, immobilizing panic attacks getting into the water after. Yeah. So it worked. And then I had more work to do. So you talked about your career with it, with marketing, and then that transition from all this marketing to, you know, the Hollywood side of things with analyzing scripts. How did you go from that? Because they still seem, well, I can kind of see the connection at the same time to an outsider. They seem to be two completely different paths. Yes. How did you go from one to the other? So, well, it's an interesting thing because when I was 27 and I moved from like, I had moved from journalism to advertising. And at 27, I sort of pivoted a little bit, that little pivot to marketing. And at that time, I had been working with a recruiter in Phoenix and you know, she's listening to me tell stories about whatever things. She's like, dude, you have to write movies. By the way, not everybody actually calls me dude, but she was like, girl, you have to write movies. She's like, you have to write a movie about this thing. Not the waterfall thing, but you know, whatever I was talking about at the time. And I'm like, what? Like, I just, I just, I just got a degree with like six, it's like a hexa major of like all these different things. I'm like, 
I don't know how to write movies and do you even get paid for that? And I'm just like, don't even talk to me about that. Like I need a job. But she was like basically stalking me. So I ended up taking screenwriting classes and moonlighting doing that for the last 23 years I've been doing it. So my day job would be in the beginning, it was manager of marketing for this hotel technology company. And then it was director of marketing for this other hotel technology company. Then it was senior VP of marketing of a $10 billion hotel, luxury hotel real estate company. And, but that's what I would do during the day. And then at night, I'd be writing action movies or adventure movies. And it was interesting because during the day, as I would be assessing like the dialogue that I would be writing in the emails, in the research, in the events we would do in, you know, in the website, everything we would do be like, well, it's dialogue. It's like, I'm just connecting this team of professionals to the clients. And so I'd be just always analyzing the character, which is probably a occupational hazard now because it's just constant <laughs> analysis of, oh, this person's this, this person's that. Like, okay, this person doesn't want any details. It's not even a story that we're telling right now. It's just the facts. You know, this is a financial thing. But it just became, like, I just started applying the principles of screenwriting to everything because I'm always talking to characters. Do you think it was a natural progression for you? Like, Ryan and I always talk about on the podcast the importance of content, the importance of telling your stories, the importance of sharing educational and informational content. And... You know, there's lots of different lenses you can look at it through, but a lot of it feels very similar. Was it a natural progression for you or did you feel like they were like two opposite ends of the spectrum? I feel like it was supernatural because the, because I went in the screenwriting thinking, oh, I can write a movie like I, I have hosted, I've hosted a television show. I have written television. I have written commercials. I've written ads. I've done this. I've done all of these things. And I just thought, oh, I'm just going to skate right in, write this cool movie. Somebody's going to, you know, someone's going to buy it. We know now that that is totally not the case. And they, they tell you that like early on. They're like, by the way, if you think you're doing that, <laughs> you know, there's 60,000 screenplays registered and like 100 may, you know, just like all these crazy things. I'm like, oh, great. I'm just a glutton for punishment. But to answer the question, was it? was it a natural progression? It was because there's so much emphasis in screenwriting, it's such a precision of craft. And there's so much emphasis on character development and knowing your character. And every single scene is, why is this character doing this? Why does this character want this? So when you flip that around on your, you know, on your marketing, like then at that time, like in a company, companies were still very much, and I think, you know, some of them still are now very much like, these are my features and benefits. But I'm like, why does the customer want this? Like we have to get into, you know, and who is the customer? Like, is it, and it's not enough to say it's, you know, 60% male and 40% female or whatever. It's like, who are they? Like, what are they trying to do in their career or their life or their work or their, you know, that they need this thing. And so it just became a deeper study and not always necessarily appreciated because some, some things were more Maybe research was more journalistic style and we're not really diving into characters when I'm doing research or sometimes an email for a financial, financially driven thing was just, you know, just kind of a headline. Hey, we sold this thing to these people and we're, we're out there doing deals, but it is still on some level, always having a dialogue. Someone's having a dialogue with somebody else. And if you're not aware of that, you're missing 
a whole dimension of of that dialogue. So starting in that marketing world, then kind of going into the, again, content development, but world of Hollywood, and then now back into sort of that business marketing world, what is it about those experiences that you're, you could take away that you can't apply to the everyday business? I think so, so many of the things. I really think like the crux of it is character development. And I guess I say that maybe that means one thing to me and maybe people hear that and that just sounds like, I mean, that sounds like the peanuts, the teacher on peanuts or something. But what I mean by that is really assessing, really knowing who your client is to the, to the point that, you know, that maybe you, you, maybe you think about them as, as a movie character. If you don't know them, uh, you know, but it, it's going on a deeper level. That means you know their strengths. You know what their goal is in their day. You know their flaws and things that they're not great at and how you deal with them. And it's not like, um, I always say like, it's not like, oh, we put all our issues in a big, you know, bag like Santa's toys and then we, you know, hurl it over on the boardroom table and splay it out. But it's, it's, it's about help, you know, it's about helping people and, and it's about the ability to help people on, on another level. So for example, if, you know, let's say I'm working with a technology company and they have some kind of productivity technology, right? And so great. We look at who is, who, what kind of clients are you talking to or about? Are they people that are tech savvy? Okay. Yes. Maybe so. Are, is there also a faction that's maybe less tech savvy? You know, and so maybe there's an opportunity there. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a growth opportunity there. Hey, if you can talk to people, perhaps not unlike me, I have my bouquet of big four color pens and I'm like, I'm good to go, everybody. But I can also, I can do technology if I take the time and if I believe in the game plan. And I think there's other people out there. So I just, I use it as an example. And then it's like, how do you talk to those people who maybe are on the fringe, but maybe that could give your business a, what if you could boost your business 20% by actually not talking to all the experts already out there, but talking to the people who are maybe a little bit behind that set and letting them know, hey, it's okay. If your big four color pen is your favorite thing, you can still, you know, we can show you how to use this. We can show you how other people like you have used this and have been amazed and liked technology just a little bit more, even if it's not your favorite thing today. You know, so it's those kind of things where you're really getting in and understanding, okay, why don't I, why am I not, you know, automatically leaning toward all technology, you know, and, and having having grace and having compassion for that and showing that. And I think that that naturally attracts people. So whether it's a client or customer, you know, segment that is adjacent to where you are now, or whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's the main, the main jam you have going, I think there's always something to learn about where people are at and how you can connect with them. And I, I just think that that's exciting, regardless of if it's a screenplay or, a documentary or a piece of research or, you know, an email campaign or a Facebook or Twitter or Instagram campaign. It's that connection. It's that true connection and truly helping people. Like if we go back to why we all went into business, isn't, you know, yes, we want to have fun telling stories and doing cool things and making cool campaigns, but isn't it also about helping people and you know, sharing the, be- you know, yes, sharing the benefits of what you can do, but showing people what's possible for them. 
and I love exactly everything that you talked about. We talk about extensively the importance of understanding your audience and knowing who you're speaking to. When you're trying to determine the best way to reach them, do you focus on like the content and the story first or the medium? And what I mean by that is there's lots of ways to tell a story, right? You, you can be written in, in you know, in, in written content. Uh, it can be through video. We, you can do what we're doing here today in the form of a podcast. But that medium sometimes changes the presentation of the story a little bit. So in your mind, when you're developing content, do you have to pick the medium first or do you focus on what you want to say and then determine the best way to say it? When I'm doing it in business, my favorite way to work, or I should say one of my favorite ways to work is to, and, and, and one of the ways I've always worked because I've usually been the, the head of my departments. So I'm usually really aligned with the CEO of the company or in my, my more junior days, it was the, you know, the, the COO or the, maybe if there was a head of marketing, that was my boss in my, in my younger days and really aligning with, I follow the money, like where, you know, it's because marketing, the marketing, you know, is, is a little bit different sometimes. Like I've always been very aligned with sales in my marketing roles. And so the purpose of marketing was to, you know, you, you need to lead, follow, and get out of the way of sales, right? And so I always had a nice collaborative relationship there. And I think that's what many people, of course, are doing today. But really looking at the budget and projections and where where is the action, like where do we think the revenue is coming from this year? What markets are we going for? So I start with the money piece. And then I go with, okay, what are we already doing in that area for that customer segment? And then just kind of build it from there. What, what story are we telling those people? You know, what, what kind of list or base of customers do we have? How can we attract more? And then go from the, you know, kind of the storytelling and the media and the medium that it's in. Because I think a lot of times the, what I found is the, the the CEO who's been with the company for a long time will just say, you know, we've never gone after kindergartners for our productivity technology. And they're the ones that are, they're actually rewriting the program or, you know, just whatever the thing is, five to seven year olds, or it could be, you know, it could be just women. You know, some companies really like have a high propensity of male clients. But there's, you know, there's, they just need females to be invited to the party or that can, that can translate for all kinds of different things, like a gender, race, all different things. And so we just need to include those people in the storytelling. So, and, the, and I find that the CEO or one of the leaders who's been with the company for a long time usually ha- really has a finger on the pulse of that. Here's an opportunity we're not doing. We just need somebody looking at that and dedicated to that. Here's where we've been okay, but we could probably amp it up a little bit, you know, so like those, so those kind of things. And I think that's fun because I think that there's more than a spirit of, dare I say, adventure or experimentation, but sometimes that's what it takes. Like, you know, it's a process. And that's one of the things Hollywood writers know too is, and I think a lot of business people know that too, but taking safe chances and investments and risks, if you will, to try to to talk to these different and new segments, if that's what they're going after. So you wrote the book, The Hollywood Approach, where you're taking your experiences, obviously from the business side, from your career with Hollywood. And you, you talk about in your book, there's three components, right, of a Hollywood story, the character, the goal, and the obstacles. But 
you like to focus on what you call the character DNA. And I know you've talked touched on that a little bit, but can you elaborate more on that? Sure, sure, sure. So one of the ways that we, you know, we look at creating a full-length feature film, whether that's 105 to 120 pages or a log line, which is the one sentence recap, the one sentence, you know, description of a movie. And both of those have to have character, goal, obstacles. That's what makes a story. So when, so people on here who are writers and who've maybe studied the hero's journey, or if there are any screenwriters listening, like Blake Snyder's 17 step beat sheet, which is wonderful. There's all kinds of different structures, but you know, the journalistic structure of five W's and how, who, I, what, when, where, how, all of those actually fit into character goal obstacles. And so for all of those, I have different analysis tools and exercises to dive into how to get a fully dimensional character. And so in Hollywood, we say that characters drive story, not plot. I mean, some people write plot first and then they kind of fill in the characters, but characters are really the one that drives stories. That's how we get, you know, a Rocky franchise, a Jason Bourne franchise the Karate Kid franchise. It's because we love those characters. And so the character DNA component, and I've got it in three chapters plus like a pre uh, exercise in the book on backstory, cracking your own backstory. It's about diving into the elements that make you successful as a character, the things that hold you back and what your own growth opportunities are. So I talk about character DNA in three elements and I just try to, I try to make it as simple and accessible as possible because as humans, we're wired to complicate things. So if we're complicating an already sort of complicated thing, it's just going to be kind of a tangled mess. So I look at character DNA and I, and I have some, and I have exercises for people in the book and in my workshops that we, we examine your strengths. We examine your superpowers which sometimes sometimes flows into amnesia, having amnesia about our own superpowers. And then I also analyze what I call flawsomeness. Flawsomeness is a highly scientific configuration of your flaws plus your awesomeness. And so it's not just as simple as, oh, let's write down our strengths and our this and our that. We kind of go into and we examine other characters first. So I look at, throughout the book, I use uh, Jason Bourne in The Bourne Identity from 2002, starring Matt Damon, as an example. I use Erin Brockovich, a real-life heroine, as an example. And I also use Akila Anderson from the movie Akila and the Bee, as an example. So in it, I discuss, so in the book, and, and in workshops too, I discuss, what are these characters' strengths? Like, let's talk about what their strengths are in relation to their goal in the movie. So the reason movies are such a great example for personal development is because a movie in the hour and a half, two hours is focused on the main character and that main character's transformation to reach their goal, what they have to do. And so that's like an hour and a half life masterclass right there if you know what you're looking for. And so that's why I picked those three characters, look at them. And then it also kind of, I feel like it opens a doorway for us to look at ourselves. Some people in my classes have really struggled 
naming their own strengths. You just can't do it. So if I just, you know, and I've seen a lot of a res, several resilience classes are out there showing the science that if you focus, if you name your strengths and write them down on a piece of paper, that's a really great resilience exercise right now. It is, but do you know that some people can't do that? They, they're just like, I feel blocked. Like they just can't. Likewise, some people feel really blocked identifying or even committing to paper their flaws. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we're not really in the mood. But hey, guess what? If we're looking at Jason Bourne's flaws, number one, he's an assassin. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, well, if he's doing anything wrong, I guess I could say too. Erin Brogovich, we know all the great things she did. When we look at her flaws, we can be like, all right, you know what? Maybe I'm not so good at technology and I can't hook up a beat. You know, we can just kind of open it up and open ourselves up a little bit and just be a little bit vulnerable. But that's where the magic is. So that is my approach to character DNA. And that's that's what I'm talking about in those things. And then so on the business side, when after I have people do that for themselves and they see kind of that um, sometimes emotional mini journey they have to do that exercise, which by the way, we can do in like 15 minutes. They start to see their clients and their potential clients with more depth and dimension. Oh, so, you know, there's just like a, there's always a realization somewhere, somewhere in that process. I find it fascinating how you sort of deconstruct, it seems like, you know, like almost go through, you create your own sort of SWOT analysis of yourself in a way. Exactly. You know, and what's interesting too, is I've been in job interviews before where They've asked during the interview, you know, name your strengths and name your weaknesses. And the strengths, it is, it's tough. First of all, weaknesses. You think I'm really going to tell you what my weaknesses are in a job interview? <laughs> by the way, that's a whole story that we can go down. But the, the but the strengths, I've I've one of those like I have a really tough time. And I think because there's a borderline of, is it a strength? And and where's that line where you're sort of you know boasting, you're boasting about yourself, where you're just like bragging, even though you might have asked the question. There's it's a really tough. I personally have that where it's like, okay, well, now it's all about me and how great I am. When really you you truly just ask, you know, can you name your strengths? You know, what are they? So I can see when you were explaining that, how people could have a very difficult time, you know, jotting those down on paper. Yeah. And it's that's why it's so valuable to do it. It is hard to do it by yourself. I just think I just think it's much easier when you're doing it in a group and not that you have to share with the group if you don't want to, but when you're, you know, around a bunch of people and, and even people talk about their experience after and say, it was really hard for me to do my strengths. And then other people like, oh yeah, me too. And, and so a lot of it too, like we're hardwired more and more to be judgmental about ourselves. And so one of the big, you know, encourage pieces of encouragement I have for people in this exercise, because it is vulnerability and I'm not, I'm not trying to step on Brene Brown's toes because she's got that covered, but if, is to observe, is to really practice observing and not judging. And the other thing that really comes into play with the strengths and flaws is what are they in relation to a specific goal? So that's helpful both in a customer journey as well as a personal journey. You know, so if I'm talking about overcoming my panic attacks, I did not do my character DNA before, you know, before I did this. But in looking back, so anyway, there's a whole thing. But like I have people go in and analyze their own backstory. Like we're going to pick some of your success stories from 10, 20, 30 or more years ago. And 
and get to them that way. Cause you're like, well, yeah, I was, you know, whatever I was bold or I was this, or I was that. And, and just realizing that that is something that has helped you achieve success in the past can really make a difference for your own self in the future. And also like having that compassion for our clients, you know, clients and, and where they are and where you want to take them in their client journey with the company. Do you see that the sort of self revelation when people kind of come out of it, is it, is there an aha moment or is it like that they feel just more confident? And then you take that confidence into your business world and, you know, maybe an employer can even see a difference in the work or the creativity that, you know, once they have that sort of revelation about themselves. Yeah. Is, absolutely. Is, is, is there, there is. Okay. Yeah, there absolutely is in every, every segment of masterclass when I was testing it a couple of years ago, I, you know, I, I was working with a lot of friends and close colleagues on the alphas of that or the betas, alphas and the beta. There were many tests of the class and just, I asked people to let me know every step of the way. Are you, you know, what, what distinction did you get from this? you know, mini class. And so I do kind of like 15 minute TED talk and then exercises in the format. And so every time, you know, and part of their participation was you have to tell me like, what, what's the distinction this, this time. And so only what remains in the book and in the class, in the, the master class are the ones where people had them and more and more and more. It wasn't like this huge, like, Oh my God. It wasn't like, you know, my thing was very dramatic. It was like, I'm going to go jump into 27 waterfalls and change my life and sell all my things and move to a different country. But what it was, was little things along the way with each exercise. So imagine yourself, if you, if you are, you're thinking about your goal for 2021 or your business goal or how many more clients you want to connect with. And you've made like, oh my gosh, you know, like the digital happy hour podcast is amazing. I love happy hour. So let's, <laughs> let's start the podcast talking about a drink and we're connecting, right? Like that's such a great connection point. And so, but imagine having like a series of seven of those or 20 of those distinctions where you could have done just digital happy hour, but without the asking of the drink or something else. But imagine these, these, things and then all of a sudden you're reconnecting your own wiring to be like wait a second I can totally do this and not only can I do the thing but I can have a blast while I'm doing it because I've just revisited my whole like DNA of what makes it work in the first place and so I'm just gonna wire a couple little nuggets in there but they're the ones that really matter and and just you know really make you fired up to go after your thing Kind of to that point, one of the things that we add as a connection point for the Digital Marketing Happy Hour podcast is what we call our Keep It Light segment, which is just what are you binge watching or reading these days that you'd be willing to share with us? You know what I'm binge watching right now is um, Sex in the City, the old Sex in the Cities. I am just wanting less violence and just like a simpler time and way pre-pandemic and maybe I'm plugging in a little bit too to when when Sex in the City came out I was living in Chicago and had access to my Heather London martinis <laughs> but that's what I'm binge watching now and speaking of characters they are doing a sequel and they're going into production in spring 
So I think that's another great example of character study. I heard that with maybe one less character involved as well. Yes, that's what I read as well. Thank you so much. I find it fascinating about both the aspects of storytelling because it's such a main part of, of the business component as well, but also just understanding sort of that self-revelation that we, we kind of talked about, finding your strengths. You know, with business, it's always understanding, you know, who is that buyer persona that you're trying to tell your story to if you're trying to sell a product. And I just thought it was just a really great way to sort of unpack that character DNA so that you can, you know, truly tell that story, you know, to generate more business, to build your brand, to build your self brand as well as we've seen so much now with social media and LinkedIn. So I, I find the nuggets that you were able to share with us so fascinating and so applicable to anybody, no matter what stage they're at in their business. So if somebody wants to learn more about the Hollywood approach, where would they get more information or find the book? They can come right over, right on over to my website at Christina, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, Pader, P-A-I-D-E-R.com. I do have links to the book there. The book is available everywhere in the world that books are sold. And so we will have a link to it in our, our show notes and the article that comes with podcast as well. If there's one thing before we let you go, one takeaway that you would want a listener to get from this interview, what would that be? It would be go deeper, go deeper. So whether that's in your own knowing of yourself, examination of your own character, character DNA, or going deeper for a deeper understanding with your customers this year, that would be my key takeaway. There's great stuff there. It's great advice. Christina, this was a blast. Thank you so much for joining us. It was such a blast for me. Thank you both. Well, Chris, that was really just a great interview with uh, Christina. What was your take on it? That was so much fun, Ryan. I mean, how down to earth and awesome is Christina? It was sort of interesting, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, we talked a lot about her backstory and her travels and, you know, the jumping down waterfalls. But it's it's interesting. We talk about character development, and I got so interested in you know how she was working to overcome her anxieties that I just kind of fell into the story, which I feel like translates so well when we started to talk about the importance of character development in your content. So for me, that was just an awesome experience. Loved hanging out with Christina. What about you? What did you think? No, I thought it was great. I, you know, in our Keep It Light, we always usually have some sort of movie TV show, something that we're binge watching and kind of getting her perspective from a screenwriting and tying it in with, with marketing and digital marketing specifically. You know, I think for a lot of people, it's going to be a little bit easier to see it from that angle with, you know, sort of that character development or sometimes, you know, we talk about marketing, developing that buyer persona or that, you know, ideal customer avatar. So kind of getting it from a different angle hopefully brings even more clarity to everybody else. But you, you kind of said it, she was, she's awesome. And, you know, hopefully that uh, her book just takes off. So if you want to learn more about her, please, we kind of mentioned it, go to the show notes and find the link and please go check out Christina and her book, The Hollywood Approach. Well, it wouldn't be an episode of Digital Marketing Happy Hour without Keep It Light. So what about you, Ryan? What are you binge watching or reading this week? Well, speaking of screenwriting, you know, one of the things I think the wife and I, we finally sort of gave in. It's like, all right, we've been hearing a lot about it. Let's 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 watch uh, 
So on Netflix, we finally watched Bridgerton. So I don't know if you saw it, heard a lot about it. You know, it's kind of like late night Cinemax meets Downton Abbey, if you had to combine those two together. So it was pretty good. You know, I'm not offended by itself. I actually thought it was a little bit entertaining. So it was created by uh, Shonda Rhimes, who is, you know, Shonda Land. So she's created all those ABC, those great series. And it's kind of interesting. And, and I was just reading about this, that how she got the idea to write this, because uh, this Bridgerton started out as a novel. I think it was something like eight novels that started. And apparently Shonda Rhimes was out on vacation and didn't have enough books to read. And so she went to the bookstore, came across this these, this, these series, read them, and lo and behold, she did the screenwriting uh, and she created the uh, adaptation of this. So it, it was pretty good. Uh, it's already been, I guess, you know, renewed for a season two. So, you know, if you, again, you know, late night on Cinemax meets uh, Downton Abbey, if that's your, if that's your jam, you're going to love it. <laughs> what about you, Chris? What are you uh, bitching? You know, so I haven't seen it, but I heard that the sex scenes were so raunchy that apparently Netflix is having problems with them appearing on porn sites and they're having to file copyright claims to get them taken down. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, it could go there. I could see that. I don't know about porn scenes. Uh, here, here's a funny thing, though. I will see. I, I'll be interested to see how this takes off because there's there's censorship laws in various countries. And I'll be curious to see if that even gets picked up, you know, in some of these countries, you know, throughout. And I think Europe, you're probably all right. But some of the Asian countries, definitely in the Middle East, I'll be curious to see if that that actually does get picked up or not. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's hot. There's no doubt about it. Very interesting. Well, I don't know if I'll check that one out, but have you seen this uh, limited series on Netflix called Night Stalker? I have not. So you know, you know me, I love the crime dramas, right? This is a limited series. It's based on the true life story of Night Stalker, which was a killer in the Los Angeles, California area in the mid 80s. And I got to tell you, it was it's a four episodes. It's very good, covers the, the true story. And it's an interview with the actual detectives and what they went through and how they ended up catching this individual. But it's kind of terrifying. And I, I remember talking to friends afterwards going, you know, I don't know if I can recommend it because I'm kind of scared to sleep right now. And then apparently that's the theme. There's all these articles on the internet about how some viewers are saying Netflix might've gone a little bit too far showing some of the photos from the real crime scenes and stuff. So very good, very interesting if you're into that sort of thing, but it's, it's dark. So, you know, watch it with somebody. Did you, uh, did you have trouble at night? Turning the lights out after you watch an episode? Uh, I don't know. I don't sleep as it is. So I don't know that it was specifically related to that. But uh, it definitely it's definitely a little bit scary for sure. When you see, you know, it's interesting when you study other serial killers and other, you know, murders that have happened. Usually there's a theme to it, right? He kills men or women or he's after this type of individual. And I think what makes this so terrifying is that there was no rhyme or reason to any of it. And, it, you know, a lot of them were just random. And it's, you know, that's what makes it so scary is that you just don't know, you wouldn't know what to expect, you know, and they weren't having any luck in finding him over a long period of time. And then it started to spread outside of Los Angeles. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it, for, without a doubt, it, it definitely I could see why some people lost sleep over it. Yeah, very good. Well, as always, we want to hear from you. If there's something that you disagreed with, please reach out to us. Something you love, we always want to hear about that too. So 
couple of ways you can find us. Send us an email, podcast at araxam.com. That's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. And as always, find us on social media. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. Just do a search for Ryan Smith Marketing. You can always do a search for Araxam on LinkedIn. And then, of course, Twitter and Instagram. You can reach me at Ryan Smith FLA. And the best way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. You can find me under my name, Chris Casali, but you can also find me under Araxam and, of course, Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. In fact, we're now on Audible as well. We hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. And on that note, Chris and everybody else, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Be kind to each other. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album Message. Learn more at BetterWithMusic.com. Thank you for listening.